2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
2: But There was this one video I watched of a new caledonia crow, which was incredible. It was able to solve a complex eight-stage puzzle to get a food room.
0: What can they teach us? You know, zoologists are calling crows feathered apes because their brain-to-body size ratio is high compared to a lot of birds.
1: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.
0: Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm
1: Ah Ah,
0: ah. <laughs> I hope somebody wasn't listening to that in the morning. <laughs> I should have said
2: turn your volume down.
0: Yeah, we can open with that. I'm Angie, actually, no. in case you're in
2: case yeah. you were confused by that crow call.
0: If <laughs> this is your first All Creatures podcast. Generally, it isn't a comedy podcast, but uh, we do crack jokes at each other. But now, welcome uh, to the crow episode. And what I just said to you before we hit record, it's all about behavior, baby. This is an amazing, incredible bird. Incredible
2: bird. It's going to be a lot of fun today, Chris. Uh, so many interesting facts about crows in general but their behavior is just amazing. Uh, They're very intelligent and I think we've been putting them off for a while because I knew it would take a lot to do the research to give Mm -hmm. them the Mm -hmm. credit that they deserve because sometimes crows are often considered bad or unwanted and after this podcast, if you ever thought that they were either just a boring or a, a mischievous blackbird flying in the sky, this podcast will change your mind. Crows are extremely intelligent, and uh, luckily enough for us, Chris and I, with our schedules, we actually had two weeks to prep for this podcast, so I hopefully mm-hmm. will give it justice. Uh, Chris and I are not ornithology experts, and I, and I definitely looked around to... Uh, Potentially get one on the podcast, so that's uh, hopefully in the horizon sometime. Getting someone on here that can really just talk about some of these cool experiments in a little bit more detail about just how intelligent crows are, and yes, it's it'll be a good one.
0: <laughs> I do it, so I pared down my slides on on other sections because the behavior, reading about all of the incredible stuff they can do, we're gonna get there. But wow, wow. And we just did, you know, the Dracula parrot and we talked about some of the intelligence within parrots, but uh, the research on crows is going to blow you away. So
2: Right, and I think that you I, I think wait. you just hit the nail on the head is that everybody thinks of parrots, oh, they have the intelligence of a 2-year-old or older and they have this vocabulary that isn't necessarily them talking per se, a lot of it's mimicry of the, of the human language, but they're very smart. But I'll tell you what, Chris, after studying cr- crows for the past 2 weeks And really dive, doing deep dives into some of this stuff. I'm having so much fun walking Rainbow in Maddox uh, because there's crows in my neighborhood and they actually, Mm -hmm. they get mad at Rainbow a lot. I think because it's their breeding season right now and she likes to uh, always kind of chase after them and stuff and they know her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so mm-hmm, they call mm-hmm, to each mm-hmm. other when they see her in the field cuz I'll let her off leash and we'll play frisbee and stuff but of course she she'll uh you know cause a little bit of ruckus and so i mean i just am not looking at them the same at all this has been a really eye opening podcast for me and i hope for other listeners out there that were maybe taking crows and their incredible behavior for granted which i know i was definitely the hopefully this podcast will change you. And when you just go for a walk, whether it's in a park or, uh, in the woods that you will start looking at crow behavior, crow communication, completely different. And I'm having a lot of fun trying to Identify the difference between crows and ravens. So, we'll talk about that in the mm-hmm. podcast today. And uh, we'll talk about two of the different species depending on where you live. There's a lot of species of crows, which I did not know I that. Know. we're going to. Fo- that blew me away. Yeah, yeah, we'll focus on the American crow today, but we're going to talk about the Hawaiian crow and the mm-hmm. Mariana crow from the South Pacific Island that are endangered. In fact, the Hawaiian crow or the Alala is actually extinct in the wild. So we're going to talk about their conservation story, which I had no idea. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be a fun pod, that's for sure. And I, I yeah. promise, I will pare down my thirty slides and make it tolerable.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, well, a couple of things you said. You know, they they know rainbow. Yeah, I mean, I was reading that. They 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 know human faces. They remember people up to
2: like six years or five generations, up to ten years. Yeah. Remembering yeah, they are. Uh, either a person in a mask and yeah, so we will we will touch on a lot of this <laughs> it's, stuff. It's just it's really mind blowing and yeah, uh, and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg of learning just about how crafty they really are and uh, yeah. and that they should be more associated with intelligence and perhaps reverie than trickery or death.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you did mention the Hawaiian crow. Very, very interesting conservation story that we're going to talk about. But yeah, I think this was like the first extinct in the wild species we've covered. There's only about 110 left in the world. So very, very, very interesting. And then Angie, last night, you know, after yesterday, and I was like, okay, my slides look good. You know, we're going to record the next day. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, oh, snap scarecrows i forgot to research scarecrows like where did that come from so stay tuned to the end i'll I'll save that one for after all the behavior stuff but the genesis of scarecrows and you know when did that begin and why and why is it called scarecrows and all that stuff so anyways we're gonna get there just quick thank you to our patreon supporters melanie this week thank you so much she upped her monthly contribution. Thank you so much. It's keeping us going right now. You know, Angie and I are juggling six different things right now, but we definitely- Six?
2: That's on the weekend, my friend. It's more during the week. (laughs) It's like 20.
0: Well, we just started the semester here in New Zealand and I'm just like, I'm running around. I, I literally work every single day, but this podcast is worth it. And, you know, like today I was updating the website. Rachel's been doing amazing write ups for us. And, you know, I'm a little bit lagging on that, but uh, keep trying to keep it all together. But I just, you know, just looking at what we've done the last few months, I'm just. You know, I'm grateful for you as a podcast partner. So thank you, Angie. And then I'm grateful for our supporters.
2: Yes. So thank absolutely, you. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you to everyone who's listening, people that send us emails. Um, uh, working on some more kids podcasts. Uh, those are always fun interviews. It should be, be coming your way in the near future. And of course, I always like to mention that you can give us a five-star review on iTunes and of course write some kind words. Those are that is always appreciated. And it helps get our podcast in more circulation.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, real quick shout out to Thad. Yeah. He's asking for termites. So again, we have to talk about that. So yeah, him and his wife have been traveling around the U S and Mexico and they've been listening to the podcast. So shout out to them. And 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 we'll talk about doing some of those invertebrates, but jumping into it, Angie, because we got to get to behavior, but we need to lay the groundwork. Always describing a crow it, it, it is a beautiful bird. I mean, they are. They're very, you know, compared to, say, a vulture or something. They're <laughs> very, very pretty. Yeah.
2: Vultures are pretty in their own unique way. Uh, it's just yeah. the head. It's yeah. a ball, but it serves a purpose, yeah. right?
0: But It does. I it does. no,
2: the American crow is a gorgeous bird. They're completely black in color, but their feathers have this glossy, almost slightly iridescent look to them. And they have really strong legs and toes, which are also black, dark gray in color. And the bill is black with a slight hook on the end. And the American crow also has stiff bristles that will cover their nostrils. And the tail shape for the American crow is uh, like a very gentle fan. So rounded, if you will. But what's really cool about crows, and I didn't realize this until I started studying for the podcast, but younger crows, although they're about the same size as adults, they have blue eyes and the inside of their mouth is pink. But as they age, both the eyes and the mouth darken. So I thought that was a really cool way to tell the difference between a young adult and a mature adult. But Chris, I think this leads really well into talking about the difference between the American crow and then the common raven. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about their habitats here in a second. But they are pretty identical. There's a, or there's a lot of similarities and uh right. to the untrained eye, which is myself. I've only been I've only been looking for like two weeks just in, um, throughout my neighborhood without binoculars. So probably all of my bird nerd friends out there, which I'm a bird nerd wannabe. So it's a cool thing to be a bird nerd. Chris is actually probably mm-hmm. more of a bird nerd, or he's going he's gone birding a little bit. Learning to yeah, learn. yeah. Yes. I'm like we're like yes. bird nerd wannabes, right? I'm not that cool yet, and working towards it. But for our listeners out there that are trying to tell the difference between a raven and a crow, it's pretty subtle. Uh, typically, ravens are bigger uh, than like the American crow, and they also have a more of a a heavier or wh- what you'd call like a Roman nose. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. thicker, and ravens actually have a little bit more of a fancy long feathers in their throat region where an American crow is like much smoother. And like I mentioned, the tail of the American crow is more soft rounded fan shape. The common Raven is almost more of a wedge or a V shaped, Mm -hmm. much more dramatically. And they make different vocalizations. Croaks more come from Ravens and caws come more from the American crow. So there are there are definitely differences, but they're going to be more in size and then the tail feathers. And I tried to take a picture of one today to see if I could zoom in to see if there's if I saw any throat feathers, but my my camera didn't work that well because it was too far it was too yeah. far away. So I got to keep yeah. trying. Um, but yeah, that's some of the main differences. But overall, they're just a, a a strong looking black bird that are really beautiful in the sunlight when they have some of that iridescence. And, um, yeah, they're just such an icon.
0: They are, they are, they are. And yeah, I mean, the American crow length, body length wise, you know, 16 to 20 inches or 40 to 50 centimeters wingspan, 33, 34 inches to almost 40 inches. So almost three feet (laughs) Mm -hmm. and weighs about a pound. And the the ravens are about double the weight of the American. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Okay, little that's little much bigger. larger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, and their wingspans get like about four feet, and they're just they're just bigger. They are bigger. Now the Hawaiian crow is interesting. Is nearly the size of a raven. It's a big. So crow. it is bigger than the American. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bigger than the American crow. And then Angie, the rook. Don't forget the rook. <laughs> it's always forget about the rooks. Rooks are a little bit smaller than crows. So, the ravens are the biggest, crows in the middle, and then the, the rooks are the smallest. Now, the American crow ranges from just into northern Mexico up through the 48 continental U.S. and then into the southern reaches of Canada. Now, the crows that are in Canada, they do migrate southward in winter mm-hmm. uh, because it does get very bitter cold up Those there. Those are some but... smart crows. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And then in the American West, you know, some of the desert regions, you, you might not find crows. It's just too hot. Probably not enough prey uh, for them, but you're going to find them in almost any habitat. Right. That's
2: the cool thing. I mean, if you, if you're in New York city, like my friend, Sammy, you can probably go see them in the parks there. I'll have to ask him. I'll have a job for him. And if you of course live in suburban areas, they're definitely there. And Any type of woodlands, absolutely. So they're a really accessible bird, and I love that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And they've adapted well to human intrusion into the environment. Yes, they have. They've they've done really well. Yeah. Except the Hawaiian crow. (laughs) It's just not doing as well. They were on the main Hawaiian island, but again, they're back under human care. And we're going to tell their story here in a minute but before we get to them you know american crows and and talking about white care and, and and this goes into some of the scarecrow too like we even said before we started you were we were talking about that and and crows were really thought to be devastating to american crops and a nuisance bird one that that had a lot of negative connotations to it but the we're finding out that's not quite true. I mean, they're they're pretty important. I read, before I let you run with it, a crow family can eat over 40,000 grubs, caterpillars, worms, insects in one nesting season that are pests to gardens and, and crops, right? I mean, they do a good job. Absolutely,
2: Chris. At this point, there's just not the... Uh, evidence-based research to support that they are just super dramatic and harmful to crops. Um, In fact, some of it is suggesting that they might be more helpful or neutral or definitely less impactful than what was thought of them historically uh, when we think of the scarecrow right? And so they do play this really important um, ecosystem role. First of all, crows will eat eat anything. So yes, they will eat your crops, Mm. but they will also eat the insects on your crops as well. And they will also spread seeds too. So they definitely have Mm -hmm. a really important role for seed dispersion, depending on where they live and what their diet is. And what I found super fascinating is The American crow is what is known as a centennial species. And as a centennial species, the American crow is an indicator of the presence of West Nile virus in a certain area. The West Nile virus can be very devastating and crows can get it, but they cannot transmit it to humans directly at all. And so if there's a certain area where mortality rates of American crows are really high, like 70, 80%. That helps alert scientists to start trying to figure out what's going on in that area. And this might be an indicator that West Nile is present in this area. And so it can help alert people to protect themselves um, from mosquitoes and, of course, their their pets, horses. So the crows can be actually really helpful um, in this kind of transmission arena.
0: Yeah, I know. West Nile virus. I, I could sit here and that be a whole podcast on that. Uh when it first came out in the late nineties, you know, early two thousands in the US and as it marched westward, it, it is very fatal to horses. Uh people can get it. Uh, birds carry it, and the mosquitoes bite the bird. Then the mosquito goes and bites a horse or a person. Uh, dogs can get it. Other animals can get it. So, uh, not a fun disease. And yeah, I'm so sick of diseases. Right I know, now. I know. <laughs> like we're everybody. gonna get to and we're
2: gonna get to some of the cool behavior here soon. I promise. But well, no. And they think in 1999 yeah. that it um, it took out about 45 percent of the American crow population.
0: Yeah, it was devastating. Yeah, crazy. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, West well, Nile virus is not fun. Well, let's talk about the Hawaiian crow, Angie. Ah, this
2: this leads. This is exactly why we should care about it. Uh, is yeah, yeah, Chris. That's exactly what we what we should be talking about because it's a really interesting and hopeful story. And the American crow is least concerned; their population Mm -hmm. is doing great here in the United States or North America, except for the Hawaiian crow, which is a separate species. Um and in the Hawaiian language, it's pronounced Alala, which I just think is very fun to say and very nice. Um, but this is going to be Corvus Hawaiian. <laughs> Corvus, <laughs> Hawaii, <and> there <laughs> you
1: go. Corvus
2: Hawaiiensis.
0: There, you, yeah, go. there you go. I did good. Okay. I mean, there I don't normally go. do that. Yeah, so look good. at
2: me stepping out of my yeah, comfort yeah. zone. I love it. <laughs> uh, but this is this is why I do this podcast, or why we do this podcast, mm-hmm. I should say, because this was just so interesting to me. I feel like. I'm kind of in the know about endangered species, and I'm always learning. But I had no idea that there was a Hawaiian crow that was extinct from the wild.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it disappeared in 2002. That, you know, in the 90s, there was less than 20 alala remaining in Hawaii. Less than 20. Like I said... Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said today, because of human intervention, there's over 110 today. They were hunted illegally, poached, or killed by farmers because, like we just said, that they, they were thought to destroy crops. They have lost a lot of habitat. They just have not been able to adjust to the presence of people. Cats, rats dogs, climb- mongoose. Yeah, rats. Yeah, rats climbing trees, eating eggs, young chicks. So they've done very poorly. And uh, luckily, these aviaries have, have kept them. And they reintroduced 30 back into the wild in 2016 on the big island of Hawaii. And they, ha- they had some breeding success. And they thought, wow, these birds were, were going to do okay. They were in a, a natural area reserve. Uh, this was a, a project with Hawaiian state uh, conservation agencies and San Diego Zoo Global. Which I think we're going to talk about at the end. You have many friends there. Unfortunately, uh, in 2020, they could only catch. Fi- they only found about five remaining. I mean, they've been monitoring them, and they've been declining. And so, they could only find five that they were able to catch and bring back in under human care. Now, some of the the deaths they they don't know why of the 30 they released. Uh, but others is the, the native Hawaiian hawk is, and that's Io, mm-hmm. I think is how you said Which it, is also was, endangered too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they they had preyed on a bunch of them. And then there was some winter storms, blew them out, and and they they never found them. But they are, the agency's there, San Diego Zoo Global says, you know, do have hope. We have 110 in captivity. They're monitoring their genetics to make sure they're not inbred. Uh, they are looking at to do more reintroductions in the future. They said, obviously, bringing back any critically endangered species takes time. It can take decades for some. It, you know, they have had successful bird reintroductions in Hawaii. The, the nini, nini uh, a Hawaiian goose that has uh, done well. You know, with protections and, and captive breeding stuff like that. So this year in 2022, we're recording this. They were going to release some, but that's been canceled. They they're still doing studies on like the density of the hawks in the region. They might release them in family groups. Right? They were I mean, doing I'm a little more
2: research, thinking that maybe if they release them in family groups, that they would have a better a better chance.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about it with such low numbers and, and reading their behavior. How they defend themselves, that mobbing behavior that that they do, you know, that's probably why they can get picked off a lot easier. You know, there just isn't mass number numbers of them, and they're looking at maybe releasing them on different islands in the Hawaiian archipelago. I can't even say that
2: archipelago, archipelago,
0: Hawaiian island region. (laughs) There you go. So there is hope for them. There definitely is hope. And again, I, I think what is exciting about that, because you sent me all the articles on it, and I didn't know.
2: I didn't know either. That's that's late at night. I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh, Chris. Oh, my gosh, Chris. John, did you yeah. know this?
0: Did you know? <laughs> such such bird nerd wannabes. I love it. But it it, it gives you hope. It that does. A lot of these species have people on the ground for It does.
2: And, and also the people of Hawaii love the alala. It's a cultural icon, and so they want to help protect it, too, and bring it back. And so it does. It has support from researchers. It has support from the zoo staff that, that work there. It has support from the locals in the region and from stakeholders. And it's got San Diego Zoo Global fighting for it. So there is there is a lot of hope for the LALA. But of course, the end goal is getting it back, flying free in the wild where it belongs. So it's just they just are hitting some speed bumps in the road, but that's what happens when you follow the scientific method, and uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna always be perfect and easy.
0: No, no, no. But again, you, besides hippos and uh, wildebeest, almost every species has somebody fighting for and preserving them, saving them. <laughs> I mean, I've, the wildebeest does, but you know, uh, the organizations dedicated to them. Uh, going to evolution on crows, pretty interesting. I mean, get through some of this quick. I mean, the AVs, it's the birds, over 10,000 species. The order is Passeriforms, So we've done quite a bit. The shrike, uh, many songbirds, half of all birds, about 6,500 species, are in Passeriformes. So it's a massive, massive order. The family is Corvidae. So this is where you'll hear them called Corvids. But with COVID out there, I don't think we want, we use co- Corvids as much because people will get confused. So anyways, Corvidae is the family. 133 species, large family of crows, ravens, rooks, magpies, and jays. So I think we'll do some more from that family. There's some cool birds in there. Uh, the genus is Corvus. So this is just the crows, ravens, and rooks. About 45 species. I mean... On almost every continent besides Antarctica and South America, which I'll cover here in a second, but the carrion crow in Eurasia, Australian raven, you know the Somali crow, uh, the rooks in Eurasia introduced down here to New Zealand. They don't belong here. <laughs> the brown-headed crow in New Guinea, Jamaican crow there in Jamaica. The
2: fish crow in Florida.
0: Yeah, the house crow in India, Middle East, uh, gray crow, they're everywhere, uh, everywhere. They have done really well, but why no corvids in South America? Three major reasons they said that there are no crows in South America is first- Titanoboa. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's fr- That is definitely from South America. And the giant uh, bear mm. is down there, all those species. God, they had so many big species down there down there it's over there now for me it's it's east uh from new zealand uh, but from an evolutionary perspective you know i'm gonna tell you here in a second crows came out of asia and they moved into north america so they just haven't had time to probably get down to south america at this point in history uh, but there's also no reason to do so they they've got plenty of plen- plenty of food everything where they're at there's no evolutionary forces pushing crows south into South America or in the Southern hemisphere from North America. Then they said when they, when they got into Mexico and probably Central America, there there's already birds that fill those niches. So the competition, so there wasn't really ample opportunity for them to kind of push further South from the United States down. So that's probably why they, they aren't there yet. So then uh, in that genus, the, the, the American crow is Corvus, and chos, Brachian chos, I don't know if I'm saying that right. You already said Hawaiian of the Hawaiian crow. And then the American crow, there's five subspecies, three to five, but you have the Florida crow, the Southern crow, Northwestern crow, Western crow, and Eastern crow. So there are subspecies. Now look at evolution. Again, birds have been around for 160 million years. The... Passerines evolved in the Southern Hemisphere on Gondwana. This is before plate tectonics around 50 million years ago when there was still kind of this mass of South America, Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. But what's interesting about that, Angie, is the earliest corvide, corvids or corvidae, latest research is placed in them in Australasia. So in this godwana, as it's breaking up, Australia, India, Africa part is where they emerged. But then crows evolved in Central Asia much, much later. So about five million years ago is when like the the modern crow came out and emerged and then migrated into the Americas and around Africa. You're up.
2: They've been here a while, though. They've been getting it right. They've been figuring out how to take over.
0: Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th.
0: I know what a lot about we're going to talk about today, and I'm trying to leave you as much time as possible. But I had to throw this in here. The smartest bird in the world. If you had to vote... And think about, and I, and I know we're, we're budding bird nerds, <laughs> but this was voted the smartest bird in the world.
2: I think an African gray parrot.
0: Close, close. That was second. Okay.
2: Is it in the parrot family? Mm-hmm. Yeah?
0: Yeah, even though crows are thought to be maybe smarter.
2: Yeah, but. I was going to say, I mean, honestly, after doing... After researching the wrist podcast, I'd say crow, but I'm going with it with what the literature says. Um oh, uh Macaw.
0: No, it's near me. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know if you know this one. A, um a Kiwi. No way. It starts with a K. Oh, kiwis oh, a caca- are not oh, that <laughs> <laughs> smart. I
2: know. <laughs> oh, oh, we don't want we don't want to offend our Kiwi fans. We the Kiwis yeah, are yeah, very no, smart. No. Um no. oh a kakapo. Close,
0: close. Am I saying it's that right? Kakapo. Okay. Yeah, kakapo. Yeah, We will cover kakapo soon. The kia.
2: Oh, the kia. The, the
0: kia alpine parrot. Oh, very, very, okay. very
2: interesting.
0: Yeah, very cheeky, mm-hmm. very naughty, very. Uh, we 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 laugh. Jesse has them at, at the. I've Hamilton got to look Zoo at a here. picture of this guy. The oh, they're beautiful. Kia? It's the ones with like the parrot? the green and red, and their their feathers are just beautiful. Some of the most beautiful parrots in the world. I cannot wait to get to see them in the wild. Uh, hopefully this year. Oh
2: yeah, just saw a video.
0: Bird. Oh, they're beautiful. Are they the ones just that are most
2: attested? I guess I always feel like it's African greys, but
0: Af- oh, probably because they are more. But it, recently, the the KIA was was hailed as this, the world's smartest because they they consider them almost as smart as a four year old child. Okay. Intelligence similar to primates, they solve puzzles. The Kia has figured out how to, you know, not only pop, pop rubbish bin lids, they can open sliding doors. Uh, a learned that if it brought firewood to a camp with a certain uh, hiker, he would feed them. The, recently, I saw a video a couple weeks ago. Kia grabbed somebody's GoPro and flew off with it it's in the South Island. They are beautiful, uh, smart, smart well, birds. They're so,
2: endangered, hmm?
0: Yeah, everything's endangered down here, Angie. Yeah, Every na- everything right. native is almost endangered. Yeah, it's just all of our invasive species making it tough mm-hmm. on them. So anyways, but we'll
2: yeah, see. Yeah, I we'll, think we we'll might, I, after I, this podcast, we uh, might need a I mean, <laughs> Kias are beautiful, and now I'm driven. We'll hopefully cover them by the end of this year. But yeah. I think we might need a, um intelligence cage match between a Crows and Kias after this. It's I Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I'll see what, what some of these facts podcast. I'm going to talk about to you, behavior. I mean, it's...
0: I got to defend us down here in New Zealand. We're... <laughs>
2: i love it no i love it though it's uh and it's cool too that like i said it is usually the african greys that get a lot of and they do their language is incredible um but -hmm. it's fun to highlight some of these less popular less well-known species so Mm
0: -hmm. awesome Mm -hmm. awesome job Mm -hmm. yeah i came up when i was looking at because i was thinking like oh the giant the largest crow ever or whatever i could find and i did find a cool bird with saw teeth that i'll bring up in another future podcast uh this much larger than uh, the giant albatross, crazy bird looking bird. But anyway, that's all, world's smartest bird, Kia. I was like, what? And they are not, they are naughty. They're very naughty birds. They're very <laughs> naughty, naughty
2: birds are the best. I know. All
0: right. So back to crows, live up to 14 years old. I do want to talk about their brains, but before we get there, because that will lead you off into behavior. Nutrition. You said this. They they eat almost anything. Omnivores. Yeah, they eat, well they eat, carrion. they carry on.
2: I forgot to bring that up. And yeah. why
0: care? You know, they're
2: some of nature's uh, cleanup crew too. I mean, not as much yeah, as a vulture, I mean, they, but no, but still, yeah. I mean, they. That, that's a big. That's a big big insects fruit seeds grains worms larvae frogs lizards frogs (laughs) rodents
0: Rodents. little small mammals rabbits Mm -hmm. (laughs) garbage they love garbage
2: clams yeah they've been seen digging for clams they've been seen uh, where one will distract a river otter and the other one will steal the fish (laughs) i mean just they're just incredible they um they cash food. So American Mm -hmm. Crows will store food items, especially the meat and nuts and that really they're they're really good stuff. Uh, They'll store that. And of course they're like intelligent eaters too. So they've been seen dropping nuts on hard surfaces to open them, um, stealing pet food. I even saw a video once where they were timing dropping the nuts
0: where cars would run them over. Yes, they, they they saw the light mm-hmm. change.
2: And they knew when to drop it. The car would run it over and then they would they would scoop it up. Crazy. Uh, they also oh. now they also know know how to hold a nut with their foot and strike use their bill as a tool to open it mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, very, very clever. Um, they use sticks to forage and we'll I'll talk about that when I get to behavior as well. They they will find the stick and they either make or modify it to fit in whatever crevice they need. So sometimes it has hooks on it. I mean, it's just incredible.
0: No, they are. They're, they are smart. I'm going to try to defend the Kia, but I don't know. The the, the more I learn about crows, they're brilliant. Real quick. They are preyed upon. uh, Like we said, the Hawaiian Hawk, but the red tail Hawks, great horned owls, snakes, domestic cats, raccoons uh, will, will do that. And then I mentioned it earlier, if a predator's nearby or is bugging them, they will mob, they will group together and mob it and drive the predator away. So that's probably why the Hawaiian crows are having some trouble. They don't have the numbers to 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 mob a hawk to drive it off. So they are getting picked off.
2: Mm-hmm. Or to even do all the calling the to alert friends yeah. and family members that there is a hawk in the area, things like that.
0: Now, to lead you into Behavior. I had to talk about their brain because there, there's a lot of research out there. Uh, the The evolution of the brain, you know, with with from dinosaurs to crows. Uh, there's a lot out there. You know, zoologists are calling crows feathered apes because their brain to body size ratio is high compared to a lot of birds and other species so for example the new Caledonia crow its brain only weighs 0.26 ounces but according to its body size brain to body size that's 2.7 percent of their overall weight for us we have a three pound brain that's roughly two percent of our body weight so, their brain to mass ratio is actually higher than humans. I'm telling you. So, of all, trying, all the birds, so they're going to yeah. take
2: over. It's going to be awesome.
0: <laughs> Crows, ravens, and parrots have the biggest brain to body size ratio. So, they're considered the, the, the smartest birds in the world. You know, we, we covered this in the parrots, the, the parrot genome. I think there's some evidence there in crows, too, that that some of the genes that control intelligence are shared. So they're conserved, you know, in humans and, or primates. And these birds, they have some things turned on that a lot of other birds don't or other species don't. So that kind of, I think, explains, you know, I think the, the physiologists in us are trying to explain why are they so intelligent? Mm-hmm. Why can a crow learn to watch traffic lights and know when it's red, they hop out and place a nut on the ground, hop away. When it's green, cars go by, breaks the nuts. It's red again. They hop out and grab the nut and fly off or do it over and over.
2: Probably because they're not on their cell phones. (laughs) I know.
0: But look (laughs) how... But look how intelligent they are! They're smarter the than us. us. That's what I'm
2: saying. They're smarter than us. They're actually yeah. not on their cell phones uh, when they're driving, yeah. or on their cell yeah. phones ever. They're they're probably going to get leaps and bounds ahead of us because they're not on cell cell phones like us I know. all the time. I know. Uh, but yeah, Chris, you bring up fascinating points, and uh, they they have big brains, and and because of these large brains, uh, crows are good learners, good problem solvers, uh, inquisitive sometimes mischievous, um, and they're just, they're just fascinating. And the American crow is considered very intelligent. There's not as many scientific studies and evidence to actually prove this, uh, some of which is because American crows and crows in general are actually really hard to trap and study. And so to bring under human care um, to learn more about them, it, it's it's not an easy task to do it because they're always outsmarting people because of their ability to outsmart somebody who's trying to potentially cap capture them. And so the new caledonia crow is probably the most famous example and the most famous species of crow that has been used in a lot of um, behavior and intelligent experiments. But several other species have been documented and performing really, really cool behaviors. And so with the new Caledonia crows, what we do know about them, and what has been documented and pretty well researched is the ability for them to recognize faces, the ability for them to make and use and modify tools. Um, the Alala, the Hawaiian crow, is also really good at this and this has been looked into um, as far as this species and how, uh, because they are under human care so much they can observe their tool use and how they use sticks to get insects out of um, out of trees and logs uh, as well as in New Caledonia. And then there's a study with the Max Planck Society that's shown crows can actually create compound tools from two to four uh, short branches or sticks that can be slotted together to make a better tool. And not only can they put tools together, but there was this one video I watched of a New Caledonia Crow, which was incredible. It was able to solve a complex eight stage puzzle to get a food reward. And the researchers had been working with it uh, to do separate pieces of the puzzle individually. But basically, within the first try, And under a few minutes of seeing all these puzzles put together, the crow figured out in order that it needed to first untie a small stick. The small once the small stick was untied, it used it to reach into pretty much like a cage to help roll a rock or a stone out. And it had to roll out three stones from these different little like cages. Once it rolled out all three stones, it had to then pick the stone up and put the stone into a container. Once there were three con- three stones in the container, another lever would open. that would give the crow a longer stick, and then it could use that longer stick to pull meat out of a tight little s- slot.
0: You sent me the video on it, so yeah. So they had to get the little stick. Mm-hmm. And three separate cages with rocks in it to use the little stick to pull the rocks out, pick the rock up, stick it in that that container, and then it needed three of those rocks to have enough weight to unlatch it to get the long stick to get the meat in the trap. Yeah. And that bird figured it. I, it, it reminded me, I was watching it and I'm like... Jesse, uh, Rourke, and I went and did an escape room about two months ago. Oh, fun! I, I haven't done me those of that yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of that. It it would take us an hour to figure <laughs> out how to do it. This crow gets it in like two minutes. It's incredible. It's, it really
2: is. And of course, oh. it had been working with the separate parts, but still to figure out what order yeah. to put it in, and yeah. and and for just like a tiny piece of meat, it was just it was just really, really incredible. Well, and then Chris, the Hawaiian alala. They use sticks for food, which has been documented. And then once they were trained to pick up rocks, the Alala figured out that classic water displacement problem where oh yeah. mm-hmm, okay. where if they put the food is in like a, uh, there's like a tube of water and then there's like food floating on the top. And if you add stones to water, it'll make the water displace and push the food closer to the top where the mm-hmm. crow can grab it. And humans cannot do this till they're five. So I, I actually need to do this test on Zach to see if he <laughs> yes, yes, if, see if he it. can do it or not. But, and I think we talked about raccoons being able to do it too after a while. Yeah. It's just really fascinating and it does take a lot of brain power. But the, then these alala crows took it to the next level and they were able to pick between floating and sinking objects, which, which one would help or not help displace the water, mm-hmm. and then they would pick between solid and hollow objects to figure out which one could help displace the water quicker.
1: Right.
2: I mean, that's that's some algebra, if you ask me. For the most it, part, it's intelligence. Yeah. It's, it's just not,
0: I mean, you know, it's like, oh, or animals. You know, I mean, I know anybody listening to this podcast doesn't believe that that animals are just have no feelings or thoughts or anything like that. But that is an instinct. That is not. Mimicking behavior that is a thought process to think through a problem that's problem solving, sure. There's uh, and there's that's crazy intelligence, it is.
2: And for the American crow, which we're focusing a lot on today, um, when they've lived under human care, they've been observed to dip a cup of water, uh, to moisten dry food, like they didn't, they're, they're mm-hmm. like, don't mm-hmm. serve me this, it needs to be moist. And so, they got like used a little cup and just like a little chef, and put <laughs> put water over it to mm-hmm, moisten their mm-hmm. food, and then there was wild American crows that were observed basically taking a splinter from a long fence rail, and then using that splinter to spear prey in a hole, to just to stab it and get out those ants or whatever.
0: <laughs> it's just I, I don't know. There's so many fun behaviors. Like one of the things I, I I saw, and that's why like I I wanted to leave a lot of time for behavior because I, I I dug into some of this was funerals that they have this mass gathering when a crow dies they don't touch the dead one but when a crow dies it attracts hundreds of them mm-hmm. they will come and like pay it's almost like they're paying respects but they scientists think they're trying to figure out why they died mm-hmm. so what what killed you you know so i don't want to do make the same mistake that you made absolutely you know so I, I imagine being the crow scientist. Like how much fun that would be. <laughs> yes, Chris. Well,
2: that brings up a really good point. Um, there is a website called corvidresearch.blog, and it is run by a crow researcher who I was like, ooh, I gotta reach out to her, named Kaylee Swift, uh, who for her PhD project did a lot of this research in crows and some of these, uh, really cool behaviors, um, like the some of the funeral behaviors. And she has this really cool blog all about, uh, all about Corvid research and you can ask her questions. And so she would definitely be a fun one to talk to. And she comes out of the university of Washington where that lab also ran a really cool long-term experience about American crows. And what they had done is they had captured some in nets and they did it while wearing like a caveman mask. For, I don't know why they selected that. But uh, then they put them back into the wild. So they caught them. They were wearing these caveman masks. And then they released them on campus. When the researchers would walk across campus wearing the same mask, the crows would yell at them and scold them and dive bomb them. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense. They, you, you were not nice to me. I did not like being caught in a net. Check this out these crows held a grudge more than 10 years after capturing just these seven crows,
1: mm-hmm.
2: more than half the crows on campus would still do alarm calls at the site of a caveman mask. <laughs> that is crazy. 10 years it, later
0: yeah.
2: and yeah. not just the seven that experienced this, you know, stressful, not fun situation.
0: Them,
2: yeah. And so exactly how they do this. Of course, researchers don't know. Um, Are they teaching one another? Is it the family units? Uh, We do know that uh, crows can form really close family units bonds for up to five generations. So there definitely is information transferred from generation to generation. Um, And since they do live up to 15 years or so, it could have been the same birds remembering, but teaching others. I don't know. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, That is what a what a unique behavior, right?
0: Oh, there's just so many. There's just so many. They're they're just oh, they're so amazing.
2: Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I watch so many YouTube videos and just learning about crows. And like I said, when I go for my walks now and I I, blessed that I can get out two or three times a day with the dog and the baby. I'm just I'm just in awe. I'm, I'm I'm my ears are open listening to their calls. My eyes are are more bright looking for them mm-hmm, and trying mm-hmm, to identify mm-hmm. them and seeing what behaviors I see and seeing if they recognize me and yeah, it's just so fun. It's just just what a <laughs> cool bird in my backyard. I'm just I'm in love. I'm so in love.
0: All right. So besides intelligence and and, and we we have established they are very smart and we'll try to post some of those videos on the website. You can Google them. They're amazing to watch. What are just some of the other behaviors that are just like normal for a crow? Well, You
2: bring up a really good question uh, because actually when we talk about American crows, it's really hard to study them. Um, I have to give uh, Kaylee Swift a lot of credit. I'm sorry if I'm not saying her name right, but uh, it's really hard to do because they don't want to be studied, and uh, <laughs> they're hard to catch. Uh, so, uh, there we still have a lot to learn about them. Let me put it that way. And um, and we even even with their intelligence, I think we're just once again at the tip of the iceberg. But what we do know is American crows do this really cool behavior called anting. And basically, what happens during the anting behavior is a crow will put their body either on an anthill or near an anthill and basically allow the ants to just go in and out of their feathers. And sometimes they'll even rub um, insects on their feathers so they might smear it on their feathers and their skin. And it's just really – researchers don't know why they do that. (laughs) Perfume? I don't know. know. Or maybe they're like biting them but not that hard. Or or maybe they're – they need it for their skin I, who we don't know so all of you all of you listeners out there that are fascinated in this it's time to go to school, get your ornithology degree and help yes. help us answer this question it's just it's different that's for sure um, but it, it's been documented a lot in the wild, so uh, really, really fascinating and as Chris mentioned, they do they can be very aggressive um, to predators or people they don't like, and so they'll often chase away. Uh, birds, dogs, <laughs> cats.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: And, and, they'll, and they'll sometimes do it in groups as well. So uh, make sure you're not wearing a caveman mask um, yes. around them. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, and the American no. crow is very social. Uh, they have different types of social groups, which I'll run through really quick, but they can be seen in pairs or a family group, but also forming flocks into the thousands. And the first type of social group is the family group. And that's going to be kind of what it sounds like. They're all going to be related individuals. And American crows are really interesting with this. Uh, They they have kind of an unusual social system where that they're cooperative breeders. And what this means is that the bird will stay close to the place where it's born. It won't go off and find a mate. So this can be male or female and they basically help raise the young and defend the territory against any predators. It's not fully understood if these young that stay with the family for a while, if they'll eventually go fly away and find a mate or if they basically just stay in the family group and raise their own family or if they never breed. But they're known as helpers and it seems like they'd be they're really important for the parents to help raise the offspring. Um, So they're raising maybe their siblings, stuff like this, but there's no data or evidence to suggest that American crows that have this cooperative breeding system actually do better than groups that don't have it or other species that don't uh, participate in the cooperative breeding. But the family members are really well bonded. They do a lot of preening each other, uh, which is called allopreening. So really interesting. So that's the family group. And the second type of group is the winter roost. And that's going to happen for American crows uh, in the autumn and in the winter, where large, huge, massive numbers of of crows basically get together in the afternoon or late evening hours in a tree. And they'll kind of move together as a flock and definitely all roost together at nighttime. And the last type of group is called the floater group. And this is often happens during breeding season in the spring. And so what'll happen is floaters will kind of move around from flock to flock and they're going to maybe spend some time in their natal group hel- acting as a helper, but then they will go join another group. Um, so they're just somewhere in the middle. And once again with American crows, because they're so crafty and able to not be studied by too many PhD students, except for the really diligent, like, uh, like this guy, Kaylee Swift. Uh, We just don't really know about the American crow floater flocks and, and how they move from one group to the next or where they roam, or if they are an actively breeding group. So Yeah, lots of different social styles. Um, It probably has a lot to do with where they live or what subspecies they are. We do know that the critically endangered um, alala does form pair bonds as well and that their family groups are important for their survival in the wild.
1: Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet.
0: And I think that that was some of the, the difficulty they're having is, you know, not only f- forming those pair bonds, but protecting them, right? Sure. So when they do, yeah, that's why they want to kind of release them in bigger, bigger family groups uh, to give them a better shot of survival uh, against some of these predators and stuff. But you opened up, caw, caw, caw. <laughs> what do we know about vocalizations? I mean, these are very vocal birds, very loud. Oh, yes, see Chris.
2: Them? American crows and... Corvids in general are very, very vocal birds. Uh, they don't have unique songs like a songbird, so they have they have similar calls. Uh, both the male and the female do. They're not they're not necessarily different, but they have complex, unique, um, numerous. Uh, the alala, for example, it's been studied. Um, they have over twenty five different types of vocalizations. So, they actually put a number to them. Uh, for the American Crow, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but they have the, the cause, which they're famous for, which I opened with. So, I'll, I'll spare you. I won't, I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they have different types of cause. They have shorter, sharper cause or coups that are probably alarm or alert calls. They have longer cause, which might be used in territorial defense. Uh, they can do different repetition patterns of cause, which is called counter singing. So, uh, that might alert their neighbors. They do double cause, they do harsher cause, and then they do a lot of other noises, including coos. And these can be very melodic. Um, they do rattles, gargling sounds. They make a ramble sound as well. Uh, so just a lot of different vocalizations, and I'm super fascinated now too. Trying to like when I hear it, I'm like, "Oh, is that like a a long call? Are they you know being territorial towards me, or is that a short one?" Or uh, and I would love to hear some of these melodic coos as well. But I, though that's more for family members, so I, I, I'm not part of their family right now, so they <laughs> they they won't be singing those to me it's very very vocal bird and and that makes it so much more fun too to try to differentiate between all these different sounds that they make and what are they communicating i mean with a brain like that and behaviors that we've seen for them just trying to get a little piece of meat i would be very curious to really know what's going on with their with their vocalizations and how much of it are we missing like i mean how much more are intelligent are they? Like when we think of dolphins, right? Like mm-hmm. they they have their own individual names and stuff like that. Yeah. So it makes yeah. me really wonder if if some of that's going on. It's just been poorly studied because they're hard to study in the wild.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're very intelligent, very intelligent. Yeah, four four or five year old conversations. They they do. You, you have a five year old running around. I do, <laughs> so.
2: and we talk a lot, and the conversations are pretty pretty uh pretty intense sometimes. So yes. I can only imagine
0: what the crows are saying. And then uh, the, the, the reproductive strategy of them?
2: Well, yeah, Chris, they are monogamous. Uh, and once again, the American crows will practice this uh, cooperative breeding uh, behavior. But what's really fun is their courtship. So when a male is trying to court a female, uh, he'll do this in a tree or on the ground. He basically will face a female fluff up his feathers, make himself look big and strong and shiny and iridescent, spreads his wings and his tail, and then he bows. And that's when he'll make this rattling song for her. So the rattle is not a typical vocalization that he makes. He saves that for his pretty lady friend. And once the female's interested in him, or if they already are um, a breeding pair, They'll hang out together, and they are often seen touching their bills and preening each other's feathers. So very, very cute. I think it's fun to think of the crows that way, a little bit softer side, right? Um, Touching touching bills, and yeah, it's just so cute. And when these mated pairs do come together, they're going to form large families. Uh, It can be up to 15 individuals And they're going to remain together for several years uh, over several breeding seasons to get this large group, which some of, once again, some of these individuals will be helpers and some won't. um, And and we're still trying to understand more about that. Nest building and a lot of the reproductive behaviors are going to start in the springtime here in North America. And the American crow will build a nest, usually in a tree, but sometimes in bushes, um, hardly ever on the ground. And for their nest, which is built by both the male and the female. So I like that. The modern day, the modern day relationship, right? Where both 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 male and female pitch in. They'll create their nest out of anything from weeds to twigs to grass, moss, feathers, plant fibers. So they're pretty crafty. They'll they'll really use anything to create their nest. And the female will lay the eggs typically around April or so. Um, She'll lay about four to six eggs up to nine. And the eggs are greenish gray or blue in color. And they have little blotched spots on them of brown and gray. The female typically does all the incubation and it's a pretty short incubation period of only about 18 days. And the young are fed by both parents and sometimes these helpers and they will stay in the nest for about four to five weeks after hatching. And so they fledge uh, about 30 to 40 days uh, after they've been born. And once they fledge, they'll stick around with their family. uh, And then they they may stay on to be helpers in the next breeding season, or they may then go join or make their own new family group. And and researchers are still learning more about how that works, uh, as far as who stays and who go and who and who leaves. But we do know that uh, the American crow, for instance, will uh, become sexually mature mature around two years of age,
0: and they live to be, you know, like I said about fourteen. So you know they're doing good. It, it, it's just certain subs, certain species. You know the the American crow least concerned, but then the Hawaiian crow you go to the other end not quite extinct but close yeah, I mean to the it.
2: lala is extinct yeah. in the wild in our lifetime yeah yeah on the big island of Hawaii like it's just it's yeah it's 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 tough uh it is a hopeful story there are people fighting for mm-hmm. them and I love that and their numbers have grown um mm-hmm. in the past uh since the 90s when there was only 20 birds yeah. but yeah, we just got we gotta keep fighting for these guys. And then the Mariana Crow, Chris, that's in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. It's north of you, uh, in New Zealand.
0: Yeah. Endangered. I know. These islands are mm-hmm. tough with, with humans and all the stuff we brought yeah. with us. Yeah. Like we said, the Kia earlier, the is endangered because of, of all these invasive species. So well, the American Crow is a good story. Thirty one million estimates. Like there's a there's a lot of yes, them yeah. uh, in North mm-hmm. America. But like Angie said, bird, West Nile virus, bird flu now is a concern, but they are, you know, adaptable. Uh, Before I get to Scarecrow, what organization do we want to highlight this week?
2: Chris, we got to give a huge shout out to San Diego Zoo Global uh, for conserving and helping save the Alala, the Hawaiian Crow. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do great work, they do it all over in Hawaii. So they, I mean, they pay for the staffing there and all the research and it's just when you're supporting San Diego Zoo Global, they do really, really incredible conservation efforts around the globe. And this is just, we're just highlighting this one today, but I'm I'm just so happy that they have their, their scientists are some of the smartest in the world. Um, they're doing all the rhino repro stuff, which is just incredible. Um, yeah and so and you worked with some i of them know yes our good yes, buddy i have them. not buddy, on speed Rick dial Schwartz. but on speed email <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that cool yet but yeah, so okay. so yeah it is uh it, they're just it's just a great um it's a great research conservation team there and of course a, a zoo so even going to the zoo supporting them that way if you can't donate money is always always great so thank you to-
0: yeah i told pip Whenever we get to the States, we're, we're definitely going to San Diego zoo. Oh, for so, sure. Guess, yeah. family. Yeah, so... Yeah, we're definitely going to go back I to the zoo. And also sends an
2: important message, too, about the conservation that a lot of accredited zoos are doing that go kind of unnoticed mm-hmm. a lot of the time because they're doing it over in Hawaii or they're doing it behind the scenes and they're yeah. in different countries and different continents. And so, uh, yeah, so...
0: Yeah, it's like we didn't even know the Alala story and San Diego Zoo has people, mm-hmm. resources, Helping save the species that people don't know about, you know, so they're, they're, they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes. And that's why Angie and I are just like, so fervent and, and passionate, you know, as researchers, as scientists in the university setting, you know, we sat and looked and said, okay, who's doing the work? Who can we, uh, pair up with and zoos are doing it, you know, Angie's PhD work. Was working with San Diego Zoo Global uh, and a few other zoos to to do her uh, dissertation work. So, yeah, good, great work there. And shout out to Rick Schwartz and and all the folks there at the, the San Diego Zoo. Angie, scarecrow. This was interesting because again, like I said, late at night. Like, oh my goodness, I got to answer this, and so I, I I jumped out of bed and made a note and then went back to bed. Answer scarecrows. All right. So, how old do you think it is? In history, that we've used scarecrows definitely
2: since the Wizard of Oz. So I think that was in and yeah. that was like in the 30s, <laughs> 19, 20s 30s or
0: 30s. Yeah, you know, go way
2: back. Uh, Two hundred years.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. No. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> over three <000 laughs> thousand years ago. Love it. The ancient Egyptians were hanging tunics on reeds to scare away scare away quail from their crops.
2: So it was a scare quail?
0: Yeah, it it, it wasn't a scarecrow. I'm getting to the word scarecrow here in a minute. But what we think of as scarecrow, the ancient Egyptians were doing it. The, The ancient Greeks did it. They used Priapus, a fertility god, to frighten birds away. Over 800 years ago, the Japanese were placing Kubiko to keep sparrows out of the field. And the genesis of scare crow, okay, to, to to scare away the crows, during the Middle Ages in Europe, young children used to go into the fields and, and clap and bang bricks together to scare away birds, and they called them crow scarers because the crows would be hanging out in the fields and they thought they were part of the birds that were destroying crops when they were probably eating more insects than they were eating crops. But anyways... But unfortunately, we all can relate to this, With during the plague in the Middle Ages, a lot of children died. So then farmers switched tactics because there was not that many children around, sadly, and stuffed old clothes with straws and then placed them in the fields to scare away the birds. And so that's the genesis of the word scarecrow in the 1580s, and it means figure of straw and old clothes made to resemble a person and set in a grain field or garden to frighten crows and other birds. So the word scarecrows only been around for 500 years.
2: Okay. So I was in
0: the ballpark
2: with a the little, word, not close. the concept.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not the concept. The concept has been around for thousands and it's not just crows. It's it's a lot of other birds that would come and eat the seeds and uh, stuff like that and dig them out. And so that that's what farmers did to keep them out of their fields. It's a scarecrow. So there you go. I love it. A little bit of trivia. Fun. Yeah. Uh, before we sign off again, quick conservation tip, download the bird app from Cornell, the Merlin ID bird app or eBird participate in bird counts. Angie, when you're out there, open it up with Zachy, have him count birds with you. He'll love it. See how many crows, ravens, all the other wonderful life. you know, the, the woodpeckers, everything you have around you in Florida. So again, eBird, uh, it, it, it's global. Uh, I use it here in New Zealand all the time. They have certain bird packs for wherever you're at. So check that out. Awesome species, Angie. We could have just done behavior for two hours if we really wanted. It's, it just is so oh, amazing. Oh yeah.
2: It's just incredible. And I mean, like I said, I'm, I think I'm now going to be a lifelong crow learner. I just... I just love them, and and I think as time goes on, Chris, we might see that they outpace the Kia. But who knows? That's the fun. Uh, that's the fun of research, do, and uh, and hopefully, we're inspiring people to become uh, bird researchers to help learn more about their intelligence. Because I do think we're just starting to understand it.
0: And just just stay tuned. We have some big stuff coming. We have uh, two big interviews we're working on. Uh, these are globally known people, so stay tuned for that. Angie and I are really excited uh, to have the opportunity to speak with them. And I have another great interview coming out uh, with a wonderful, wonderful uh, author and and just an amazing interview. This this one I'm excited out there and we got some some kids some, some some youngins coming too so a lot of great stuff coming your way thank you for listening thank you for supporting conservation you're all conservation heroes uh, for me and angie both you know uh, big hugs and, and just uh, thank you so much
2: yes everyone thank you for learning sharing loving um and conserving these animals it takes a village and they need all of our help so thank you
1: listen learn share Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com